almost the entire of chapter one is made up of a record of Nehemiah's prayer. It's like a sampling of the kind of praying that Nehemiah did over certain days. As a matter of fact, we can have a we have a pattern here of his prayer. It's the longest prayer Nehemiah prayed, yet it gives us how you and I, and I believe the Holy Spirit of God has put this here to allow us to eavesdrop on this great man of God as he prays so you and I can learn better how to pray. Spurgeon says of this prayer, this is quite a model prayer, how earnest it is and how truthful. There's a unique quality to this prayer that Nehemiah prayed. J.I. Packard said, Nehemiah's prayer with his solemn invocation of God in his majesty, his frank admission of the people's sin, its appeal to the covenant promise, a restoration for the penitent, his passionate plea to God as redeemer to take action. It's one of the greatest prayers in the Bible and could be well studied at great length. And we're allowed, we're allowed tonight to eavesdrop as Nehemiah begins to pray. I, my little prayer, I love praying. But I'll be honest, I have a desire to know how to pray better. I always want to be working on this thing of prayer because prayer is our means of talking to God. The Word of God is God's means of talking to us. And so tonight, we find here, let me give you just two thoughts. Now, it's got a lot of stuff points. So don't get excited. Amen. But I got two points. Point number one, the conviction that fueled Nehemiah's prayer. Several years ago in news, we did a study on prayer. They found 78% of Americans claim to pray at least once a week. 57% indicated they prayed each and every day. Here's the problem. While many people utter some sort of prayer during the week or in the day, there's very few people praying with a passion, a power, and a productivity of Nehemiah. This prayer was a prayer on another level. It is the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man that James talks about in the New Testament. We find here, first of all, that Nehemiah believed that prayer is an essential work. When Nehemiah begins to hear about all the devastation and the ruin and the rubble that's, that's there in Jerusalem, uh, he, he doesn't go talking to everybody else about it. It's amazing. The first thing that he did is that after weeping and mourning, he began to pray. He began to talk to someone that could change it. You realize this, me and you can talk 
about what everybody, the mess everybody else's lives in to Jesus comes and never fix them. But one time you can go to God and ask God to intervene in your life and you can change their life for a time of eternity. So we need to understand that prayer is an essential work. He understood that. Someone has said nearby was driven to his knees. But I love this. Now, please don't miss this. Prayer wasn't his last resort. Prayer was his first resort. A um, woman goes to the doctor, and the doctor says, well, ma'am, you got this, this, and this, and this. There's nothing else I can do. She says, well, it's come now to that. Just, and, and she says, well, let's pray. It's now come to that. So I, I fear that we get called up in this. Once I figured and worked and finagled and worked and worked and worked and worked, and worked, and worked trying to figure it out, when we get uh, to the end of our sails, then we'll start praying. But that's backwards. We may not get to the end of ourselves if we start first and praying. So we need to start first and prayer wasn't his last resort. It wasn't an emergency call. It wasn't an emergency call. It was the first call. It wasn't when it's to to the end. It was in the beginning. And so tonight, may we understand so well prayer is as essential as breathing for those who recognize the desperate need of God. Second, Nehemiah believed in an earnest prayer. That word earnest, how many understand when you buy something, you gotta put earnest money down. That means you're making a down payment. That means you're serious. They ask for earnest money if you're buying a house to make sure that you're serious about what you're doing. Boy, Nehemiah knew the earnest work of prayer. It wasn't a, a, a lay me down to sleep pray. It, it, it wasn't one of those. Guy King said, do we know anything of prayer of this sort? All too often, we grow, we grow tired of praying, but do we ever grow tired through praying? Now, some of you didn't get that. Just shoot, well, off the top of your head. Let me tell you again. We grow tired of praying, but have you ever prayed so long if you become tired, weary, because you have prayed that long? Have you ever gotten to God and just poured your heart out to the point that you was weary? Prayers work. How many understands prayers work? It's work. It's time. And he said, do we ever go weak or go tired through praying? Have you known often what it means to rise from our knees in exhaustion? It was said of uh, what was that preacher? Stuart White, I believe. Um, now that don't sound quite right. His name was Stuart. But he was a, a, a preacher 
and uh, when he went into his office after he had James Stewart, James Stewart, he comes. See, my mind runs like a slow computer, but he always comes. Just a little delayed. Okay, now I've had a stroke. That's my excuse. Some of you ain't got no excuse. You still like that way. Amen. But, but I just, but, but James Stewart, when he died, they said that when he went in his office, they went over in a corner and that there was literally glues in the floor where he had prayed. And the wood and the wood in that corner was discolored from his tears that he prayed. Wow. There was marks in the floor where his knees had been. And the woods discolored from all of his tears that he had shed. And yet he was one of the most powerful preachers we ever heard. See, the reality of this thing is there's an earnest work in prayer. Not only that, but prayer's an effective work. There's a sense that Nehemiah was driven to his knees but Nehemiah was also drawn to his knees. He prayed not only because he believed prayer was to be the only resort, he prayed because he believed it to be the best resort. He prayed not out of duty or habit, but he prayed out of faith and hope. He believed God to answer what he asked him to do. He truly believed God to move when he asked him to do that. He really truly believed God would answer his prayers. All the men in days gone by that have been prayer warriors, the men that have been great for God in prayer were men that truly believed when they prayed that God heard and answered I pity those that cannot believe. I do. I'm not angry. I pity you. Because you just can't believe. Oh, but I do. And I know beyond the shadow of a doubt. And it's not that, that it's not a magic wand. Abracadabra, God do it. It's not a magic potion. It's believing that God will answer for your good and His glory. Uh, Miss Graham, again, mine just slips. Uh, Billy Graham's wife, Ruth Graham, said this. She said, if God had given me the man I wanted to as a husband, I'd married the wrong man. But then when she went on to say, but I prayed for a husband and God give me the right one. So the reality is, when we pray, it's an effective work. Let me, let me stop here and just say this. One of the mistakes that we make with praying is we're a lot like this. Okay, now, Lord, uh, now, okay, uh, okay, Lord, listen up. I want you to do this, do this, do this, do this. 
We give him a list of what we want him to do instead of going to him say, Lord, I got this I have a need of and this I have a need of and Lord, you deal with it any way and fashion that you choose. Best illustration I can give you is this. I've told you before, but some of you have never heard it. One day, Darlene said, Honey, did you give me some money? How many men's ever heard that statement? Give me some money. I said, How much do you want? Now, immediately, because I love her so much, I already had in my heart what I was going to do. But I wondered. Did she know that? So I said, how much money do you want? She said, I want $50. I said, okay. I need $50. I smiled at her and $50. She looked at me and she said, why are you smiling? I said, if you'd lift it up to me, I would have given you 100 But you didn't. <laughs> you made an assumption that I was going to call, and some of you fellas, that's a good, probably a good assumption, but you made the assumption, and I said, no, yeah, and that's all I gave her, $50. You know what I do? I go to God sometimes, and I say, God, I want you to do this, do this, do this. And God said, well, if you just, if you let me lift it up to me, I would have done so much more for you than you could have ever done for yourself. Now, which do you want? Do you want yours? What you want? Or do you want to leave it up to me? I serve a God. I want to, I want to say something flat foot. I serve a God that's been wonderful to me. And I trust Him so much that when I ask Him for something, I leave the results up to Him because He has proven down through the years to do more for me than I could ever do for myself. See here the conviction that fueled Nehemiah's prayer. But notice with me, and here's the message, the components that formed Nehemiah's prayer. Now if you slept through it all, wake up, get you a piece of paper and pencil if you didn't get the notes, and write these down. Because beginning in verse 5, he gives us the pattern for prayer. Notice with me, first of all, there's an acknowledgement Dear Lord, give me, give me, give me. No, he doesn't start there. First thing he started was telling this God how wonderful he was. And said, I beseech thee, O Lord God of heaven, a great and terrible God. That word terrible doesn't have the meaning that you and I are thinking. doesn't mean that he's a tyrant. doesn't mean that. It means the fact of his awesome. It, it's, his awesomeness is beyond uh, imagination. He said, that keep of covenant and mercy. He said, God, you cannot lie. And you're merciful for them that love him and observe his commandments. What's he doing? He's hallowing that blessed name. 
Well, I want you to know Nahinai begins his prayer by acknowledging, man, I was, God, I just want you to know before I go anywhere else, you're a wonderful God. I want you to know God is settled in my heart that you're a great God. You're a mighty God and you can't lie and you're merciful and you're kind. I want you to know God, you're a great God. So he starts out acknowledging his greatness. I pray a prayer, Psalms 25. When one day I got my place, I go to pray, and I always quote this unto thee, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. And then the next three words. One day got a hold of me, and I, I just hang God over it. Unto thee, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. And oh my God, I trust in thee. I got to thinking about how that I trust in thee. That means whatever, whenever, however you want to work, however you want to do, whatever you want to do in my life, I, I trust in thee. It's a wonderful place to start praying. Charles Swindoll said he knew he was not coming to just another man, but rather to the God of heaven. For whom did Nehemiah work? Well, he was the cupbearer to Xerxes on earth. But in essence, he wasn't working for Xerxes. He was working, if you will, for the holy God of glory. And he's, before he even approaches the king on this earth, he approaches the king of glory and he acknowledges who he is. That's a good place to start, by the way. When's the last time just got excited about God? When's the last time just got really thrilled about God? Nothing else, just thrilled about Him. When's the last time that God become, you got so excited about Him, recognizing who and what He is? Let me say this, let me say this. Don't miss this. Don't miss this. I'm, I'm going I'm to help you if you don't miss this. Don't ever get to the point to think that God's got to do something uniquely for you. No, you're missing it. You've never seen Him for what He is, and you've never seen yourself. You're a sinner and you deserve hell, and that's it. Nothing else. And you're going to say, you say, well, bless God, I ain't bow. Every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess to the glory of God. And if a pride won't let you bow now, you will bow one day. I promise you. So we find the acknowledgement. Notice number two, the admission. Let thine ear now be attentive and thine eyes open that thou mayest hear the prayer of thy servant which I pray before thee now. Day and night. Notice what he says. For the children of Israel, thy servants, and confess the sins of the children of Israel, which have sinned against thee, both in my father's house, have sinned. You know what he says? He says, God, we have sinned. If you ever get a hold of him, the first thing, 
Isaiah saw him high lifted up. Next words out of his mouth. And I said, woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips. He looked around everybody else and said, oh my God, woe unto you. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. He said, Lord God. He said, we admitted, he acknowledged that he had sinned because we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. And he said this. He admitted. Now, first of all, notice he's plain. Verse, we've dealt very corruptly against thee. And I've not kept the commandments, nor statutes, nor judgments, which thou commandest thy servants. Have you ever met somebody that never sins? That somebody's never wrong? Somebody that never acknowledges their sin before God? I met a few. I met a few. And I must say, they probably don't know God. Because more we know Him. And light, the closer I choose to get to God, the less I see that I'm just nothing without Him. I begin to see my failures and faults. Second, it was personal. He said, verse 6, both I and my father's house. Verse that we, not he didn't exclude himself. We, 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 all of us, we have dealt very corruptly. So he acknowledged who God was. There's an omission about his sin. You gotta get clean. Gotta be honest. Gotta be honest. There's no, there's no other way to put it. We can't live a life of rebellion and rejection and expect God to hear and answer our prayers. It just it it, it just don't work that way. There's something about. God loving it. And I'm beyond, it's the ultimate mark of pride to say, I've never sinned. And I'm not a sinner. See, when we see ourselves the way we there's humility, there's a humbling effect. And God says, it's personal. Nehemiah started, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just telling you his prayer. He's, he's acknowledged who God is. Then there's a mission about where he is. You can't fix anything that's built on a lie. And you can't fix anything until all of us... Now listen, don't, don't miss this. You cannot fix anything unless there's an accountability to that thing. It, it just can't. There's, there's got to be accountability. And so we find here that that God holds us accountable. So there's acknowledgement and the mission. But then notice the appeal. Nehemiah's appeal to God in his prayer is framed in one word. Remember. I love that. Just remember. Seeds hanging on the cross. He's a thief. He's guilty. On the other side, there's another thief. If God be the cross, save yourself and us. But the thief on the other side said, why are you talking like that? We're here because we're thieves. 
We're, we're here because that's where we need to be. But the man here in the middle has done nothing. He looks over to him. Remember me. That's it. He said, remember me. He didn't ask for God to ride it in the sky. He didn't ask God to jump over hoops. No, no. He didn't ask God. He said, just remember me. The Lord looked over and said, this day thou shalt be with me in paradise. And one man went to hell and one went to heaven. Remember me. I love this. Moses in Exodus 23, 22, 13, is intercede for the people and praise. God, remember Abraham, Isaac. Remember the promise that you told them. Remember, I beseech thee, the word that thou commandest thy servant Moses, saying, if thou transgress, I will scatter you abroad among the nations. He said, he said if you sin, I'm going to scatter you to across the nation. And that's exactly what he did. That's the reason they're in captivity. That's the reason. That's the reason. But he said this. Didn't stop. But God also said this. But if you turn unto me and keep my commandments and do them, though there were of you cast out unto the uttermost parts of the heaven, yet I will gather thee from thence and bring them into a place I've chosen to set my name there. He said, but you said if we get right, you'd show up. You said if we get this sin correct, you show up. God, you said that you would, we just got right with you, you'd show up. And he said, God, We've sinned. Notice, Samson prayed. Samson had wasted his life. Samson, no doubt, had the, the greatest potential of any person. As a boy, the Spirit of God would come on him. And I don't know how he displayed that. I don't know why we whooped everybody in the town. I don't know. But it was displayed and everybody knew the Spirit of God came on Samson. My, what, what great potential. But you know, he thought he could play around with sin and he lost. By the way, nobody can play with sin and win. And so the reality is his head's shaven they put him to a grinding stone, plucked his eyes out. But see, unknowns to them, his hair began to grow. One day, he told a little lads, I put my arms around the pillars, this building. And he said, God, remember, I pray thee, and strengthen me this one time. And I'll be avenged. And he pulled in pillars. God remembered and pulled in pillars and destroyed more than any his death than did his life. At a great price. But God remembered. God remembered. Nehemiah comes and said, God remember. The idea is obvious that God does not forget. But it's calling to remembrance God's word and what God had said and saying, I believe you will do what you said you would do. 
Paul prayed for the churches. Every book, oh, the Bible says he prayed for them. Because when we go to God and we believe his word, it reinstates a relationship to God as people. Now these are thy servants and thy people whom thou hast redeemed by thy great power and by thy strong hand. The whole point Nehemiah seems to be making is that he's not asking to do something that's, not, that's contrary to his word or his will. By the way, God will not do anything for any of us that's contrary to his word or his will. Then he comes to verse 11. O Lord, I beseech thee, let now thine ear be attentive to the prayer of thy servant and to the prayers of thy servants. Did you catch that? Did that, was that, did that fly by you just, just now? Who's the servant? Who's these people? I'll tell you who these people are. I think one of them's Haniah. I think others and people around Nehemiah. Isn't it amazing? Nehemiah got right and started praying, got a burden and started praying. And isn't it amazing? They some other people joined him. Don't you're foolish if you think this church moved forward on the prayers of just this pastor. I need the prayers of everyone in this place. Our strength is not the one. The devil will destroy one. He'll have our time. He'll 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 have. You'll have our time destroying. We lock arms with men around us. And ladies, you lock arms with ladies around you. We start praying. He's going to have a hard time doing anything. There's power and strength. There's power and strength. I, I, I need to do this because I need you to get this. Uh, Jimmy, come up here. And David, come up here. What I need from you, I'm going to be very transparent. I don't need your criticism about what I do or don't do. I'm my worst critic, I promise you. I'm my worst critic. I probably critique myself more than I than anybody else in this church. After service this morning, I said, "Well, did anything make a difference?" I went and prayed, and before the service is over, the Lord let me know it's okay. Do what I need you to do. I need you to lock arms, and I need you to lock arms. Now I'm gonna tell you what you're gonna do. I'm going to ask you a question. You can get through me, but you think you're going to get through these? 
You just bounce off. Because <laughs> we need the men. The men. Zeke, you come over here and hook on the end. And, and, Ro, uh, and Roper, you come over here and hook on the end. And Ron, you hook up on the end there. And, 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 and Jason, you come to hook up on the end. And, and uh, uh, Joey, I won't make you walk down, but you're, you're one of the deacons. And uh, uh, I, I need me and hook. I want to ask you a question. You, you might get through me and, and Jimmy, but, but I want to ask you, you reckon you're going to get through this? These. That's what prayer together does. Now here's what you need to understand. Now listen to me. I, want, I need everybody to look up this way and listen to me. If you take yourself out and isolate yourself, you've got the strength. You ladies have got the strength of other ladies. In, I can line up ladies up here at this church and do the same thing. But you take yourself out. You are on your own and the devil's going to wire you out. He's going to wire you out. I'm, I'm staying here. And I, I dare you. Mess with me. Yeah. Because, thank you, gentlemen. Thank you. Do you understand what I'm saying? That's what Nehemiah's saying. He said, Let thine ear be attentive to the prayer of thy servant and to the prayer of thy servants. He's, had, he, he's brought other people in. And, and we need each other. Amen. There are some days you can't pray. So the people around you can't pray for you. Yeah. Then there's days the person next to you can't pray. And you pray for them. Yeah. Right now we got some things going on in our church. And it's very scary and it's very challenging and, and, and James and Jean are in a place that's very challenging. They've been together all their life. They've been married over 60 years. And now her companion, her partner, some of the time don't even know who she is. She's struggling to survive. She can't pray. So she needs other ladies. And other than you ladies, some of you ladies are doing that. And I appreciate that. And you talk to her and lift her up and but pray for her. See, and my servants. Now listen to what he said. Who desire to fear thy name and prosper. I pray thee, thy servant this day. And he all of this chapter was getting ready for this. And grant him mercy in the sight of this man. He's saying, God, I know that you've got me here. I'm the cupbearer. He reminds God he's just a cupbearer. He's a slave. He's a servant. He has no position as far as giving orders. He's just a cupbearer. 
He goes to God and says, God, I need to have mercy in the sight of King Xerxes. And the only one that can do that is you. Do you understand what he's asking? He's asking God to move the heart of the most powerful man on earth at that time. The man giving the orders, the most powerful man of that day. He's saying, God, did you move on his heart? Did you not? Did you miss his? He's not giving God a list of what to do. He's just saying, you move his heart to be merciful. And we'll look next week and see how God does just that. He believed that God will in fact turn the heart of the king and give Nehemiah the hearing and the mercy he needed from King Xerxes. Nehemiah needed to go to the king, but he needed to go to the king of kings and lord of lords first. Whatever your need is, get to him first. So I'll stand to her feet. Every head bowed, never eye closed.